Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome, America. This is the newest segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and we have a live audience here, admittedly of two people, but nonetheless still a live audience here in Wilmington, Delaware, and we're very excited to have the esteemed director of our sports at Voice America Sports, Mr. Ray Ellis, formerly strong safety of your Philadelphia Eagles, and we're here to break down some of the recent events with Endo, otherwise the dominant Kitsu, Ray, welcome to the show. Hey, Doc. Uh, it's always a joy to, to, to join you. And, and I, I just want to say this. That's just your in-studio audience, but you've got a global audience, and they're enjoying your show just like I always do. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. So essentially, uh, we're talking about a, 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 real, a real character, a real personality, uh, Mr. Sue of the Detroit Lions, uh, a very talented defensive lineman, has had a great year, and he's helped – the Detroit Lions have one of their best seasons in memory. Now, it's very newsworthy because uh, Mr. Sue has been uh, involved in some altercations, you know, where people said he was a dirty player, and in fact, he was fined earlier this year, and he proactively reached out to Commissioner Goodell, which is a very unusual thing for a player to do in the middle of the season, and the purpose of this, Ray, was to... uh, to really find out what the boundaries were, and uh, what do you think Mr. Sue learned from that meeting? Well, it, it appears that he didn't learn anything, because the very next week he goes out and he stumps on a guy. But, you know, for me, Doc, it, it, it's one of these things where I've explained, or I've tried to explain to people many times, is that there's kind of a transformation that that occurs when you put that uniform on with a number on your back, you become who that person is inside of that uniform. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's much different than the person who goes out and signs autographs and hugs kids and takes pictures with babies and, and, and raises money for the, for those who are at risk. But you have to understand that that person, even as mean and as dark and as intimidated as he becomes on that football field, 
he still has to have a sense of control of his emotions because once that whistle stops you have to stop you know what the rules are you know what you can and what you can't do you've just taken a personal visit to sit with the commissioner for him to reinforce that to you and then there's this thing now where you kind of affirm what some people believe that you might be out of control because now you've done something off the field of which nobody can understand why you would want to do that and then you maybe lied about it maybe because i don't know allegedly and so now you've got more issues you've got to deal with so i'm 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 i want to ask you from a medical perspective is there some stuff that could be going on some imbalance of stuff that could be going on with this young man yeah we were uh talking about this early ray and um we we could never we obviously this is an opinion show so we we certainly don't want to say anything with any degree of certainty but no this is a hypothetical talk that that certain players in the league are, are involved in, in performance enhancing drugs and I can talk a little bit, and I'm not linking Sue to, to that necessarily, but we know that when patients are on anabolic steroids, human growth hormone, they tend to display uh, mood outbursts, anger, and also back in the old days uh, before Ray played, uh, guys would take speed. They would take amphetamines before the football games, and it would rev them up, and they would play in, in, in a very, you know, rapid fashion, but a lot of times they also became very impulsive and had a lack of control. So I think we'd be remiss if, if looking at this topic globally that we, don't eat, that we don't touch upon the possibility that there are some exogenous substances, whether it's performance-enhancing drugs, whether it's stimulants, whether it's five-hour energy, whatever it is, uh, that's something that we, we have to consider. We also have to consider whether Mr. Sue has a psychiatric problem, whether he has an anger management disorder. Uh, there, is, there is a disorder, a real disorder called intermittent explosive disorder. And this is a diagnosis, DSM-4R, which psychiatrists and neurologists use. There are certain people that have problems that need to be addressed medically uh, in the form of a psychological or psychiatric intervention. Well, you know, Doc, that, that's really interesting that you bring that up because, of course, like you said, you and I talked about that earlier, and, and you threw out some additional information that I wasn't aware of that we didn't get a chance to discuss. And I think you're right. See, this is what happened in the past, and this is why there's so many lawsuits out there now, uh, some of them being brought against the NFL, some of them being brought against equipment manufacturers, but it's against the people that have taken the time out to research and study certain things to have certain information that's relevant to a particular individual or instance, uh, incident, and, and not bring that information to the table to be used in the evaluation process, and then later people find out that there was information that these people were aware of, and, and they didn't factor it into the equation, and then the results are something different, and, and, and we have situations of which... You know, people look back on them and wish they would have done something different, wish they would have stepped in and been a little bit more forceful or or, or ad, asked for some additional studies. And in this particular case, I, I think with, with Sue, there needs to be more time spent on a self, a, a personal evaluation to see what this young man's, you know, health is. You know, is he mentally, you know, capable 
uh, of controlling himself. I mean, you know, is, is that a mental thing? Whereas when he gets emotional, he's just mentally out of control and can't control himself, you know, or is it a situation where he's just making bad decisions? Yes, and there's also an issue which it has to do with being truthful and being honest. I could cite two examples with Sue where, where I think I, I can't excuse him for his actions, where he has to be held accountable. Firstly, on Thanksgiving Day, with the nation watching, uh, he, uh, he, he was on top of somebody. He put, they were, the, other, the offensive lineman was down on the ground. He pushed him down into the turf, and then he stomped his, with his foot on, on the uh, forearm of the other player, and, and then he, he got up and walked away. Well, after the game, when he was interviewed, he, I think, lied. I don't think there's any way to say other than lied. He said, oh, it might have looked bad, but I was just pushing myself up off the turf to get up. And you look at the video replay, and now these days you can't hide from video. It's all there. You could watch it a hundred times. So I think it's clear that, that, that he evaded the truth there, and I think that that was part of the reason he got a two-game suspension. I'm not sure why he appealed the suspension, but no surprise, they upheld the two-game suspension, which is really going to hurt his team because his team's right in the thick of the playoff hunt, and he's, the, and he's their best defensive player. And now we flash forward to this car accident where, where he was driving. He hit a tree in Portland, and originally when he called in, police, uh, the, the Sergeant Pete Simpson called in, and Sue said there were no injuries, Okay. And he said, yes, everybody's fine. But as it turns out, there was a lady with a very serious injury. She had a laceration, which is a cut to the forehead, and she had a bruised eye. And you have to be concerned with her vision at the scene. And there was another one who had bruises, which we call ecchymoses and soreness. So by him, by Sue saying, um, don't worry about it, he, he actually was jeopardizing one of his passengers who had a cut head, who was actively bleeding, and whose eye was closed. And, and that, that shows, I think, a disregard for the health and welfare of the two passengers. So I'm, I'm citing two examples. Uh, aside from what might be impulsive in the heat of battle, where, where I see he was flat out lying, and I think he has to be held accountable. Well, Doc, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to say this, uh, and, and not in defense of him. But I believe in the last case that you mentioned, I believe at that time his state of mind was, oh, shucks, uh, here I am away from the team. Uh, I've been suspended already. I just had a car accident with two people in the car. They're hurt. I need to get them out of here because I believe he kind of, you know, suggested that they leave the scene uh, they left the scene, uh, and so therefore, you know, when the people showed up, they weren't there on the scene with blood or with head, you know, with trauma or with bruises. And so all he has to really do is just, you know, try to develop a story that only involves him. Uh, but I believe that, you know, at that particular time, he was worried about, wow, this could bring some additional time away from my team if this plays out the way it really happened and he was trying to cover that up, I truly think that's what he was trying to do there. And so, well, yeah, but then again, yeah, I, it becomes I, a character I, thing where you're talking about there too. Yeah. 
I agree. And, and again, you know, being from Philly, you remember two baseball players, uh, Lenny Dykstra and another player who's now <laughs> uh, we call finally Dutch. Uh, nobody can really prove anything, but, but they got involved in an accident, and there was some talk that there may have been some ladies in the vehicle, which was never really proven. But, again, it's the same thing. You know, you have a guy – you don't really know the circumstances of these women in the car. And so it was, you know, obviously he got in an accident. He's already in trouble. And he's worried about being seen with these ladies. We don't know what the relationship there was. So it just seems that certain, some of these people, not just athletes, but in general, just seem to find trouble. And it seems like he's been, uh, he's been involved in this. And uh, we have to watch it very carefully to see, if he's able to climb out of this, it, it restores reputation. And not only that, Doc, I think psychologically, you know, I, I would assume that all this you know, negative, you know, press is going to have an effect on him. And, and will he be able to get back with his team and focus and concentrate on his playbook and his assignments on the field, as well as kind of, you know, back off a little bit of the overaggression stuff that's not permitted in the football league? And, and be a good, effective football player. Us, his career could be over with very fast. Regrettably. Uh, I just want to firstly thank Ray Ellis for joining us in this first segment. We've got a really nice sports topic coming up in segment two. We're going to be talking about Matt Forte, medial collateral ligament strains, prognosis and treatment, including PRP. Then our third and fourth segments, we're going to deal with around the league, week 13, breakdown we're going to deal with everything from Tebow to Aaron Rodgers and everything in between so we want to thank the listeners and enjoy the rest of the show your internet flagship station for sports voice America sports Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. 
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. This segment deals with medial collateral ligament strains in the knee, MCL strains. Why is this relevant? Today, Matt Forte, six foot two, 218-pound running back for the Chicago Bears, went down with a hit to the knee against the Kansas City Chiefs. He's responsible for 50% of the Bears' offense this year. And without Jay Cutler, the Bears... We're relying on Matt Forte. He was hit in the knee, and you'll hear an audio clip. We want to give credit and thanks to the Chicago Bears Network for a brief description of the play. And we're going to be following this, listeners, with a description of MCL injuries, strains and tears. How do you treat them? When you hear the words PRP in this interview... You'll note that PRP stands for platelet-rich plasma injections. I want to note to the listeners, anybody in the tri-state area, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, etc., that in 2012, our practice, grossing your paid specialists, will be offering the best PRP system, the Harvest system, the same system that provided PRP to Tiger Woods, and Kobe Bryant and Heinz Ward, this harvest system will be available for our patients. Why is the harvest system the best system? Well, the harvest system involves essentially taking the patient's own blood and putting them into a special system which can concentrate the platelets to over 1 million platelets for 30 cc's tube of blood. And this is much higher than the standard laboratory centrifuge. Why is it important? Thousands of growth factors, over a million platelets, are injected into the joints and the tendons in the human body. And normally, as you know, you can't put blood products in a joint or tendon because clotting factors cause there to be a clot. And if joints have a blood clot in it, what happens? It's like bringing a car to a a screeching stop. It's like riding a sled downhill on concrete. However, with PRP, a nascent technology, we're able to remove the clotting factors entirely, remove the red cells, and inject the healing growth factors and nutrients associated with platelets directly into the joint. So that's a very exciting thing. And with that introduction, let's launch into an audio clip courtesy of the Chicago Bears Radio Network. Tough breaks on the injury front. Matt Forte, Mike, sprained MCL. He could be out for a couple of weeks. 
Uh, the early prognosis is maybe two to four weeks, and we're hearing that Matt Forte will probably try to take some ERP shots to help the injury heal a little faster so he can come back. Yeah, without uh, Matt Forte, you've got Marion Barber, you've got Khalil Bell. Not bad backups, but certainly you want to have your best player on offense. And on defense, major right, another injury, this time a shoulder. But Craig Stoltz, I thought, stepped in Mike and did a pretty good job. So let's break it down. The medial collateral ligament which will be referred to as the MCL, is one of the four major ligaments of the knee that stabilize the knee. What is a ligament anyway? It's a tough bit of material, and it connects bone to bone. You can think of the ligaments as duct tape to keep a joint intact. It also, that is the MCL, functions to resist forces that push the knee inwardly. So injury to the MCL is painful. It often occurs in sports where there's cutting, such as football, skiing, can occur in basketball. I myself have had grade one MCL strains, which is a uh, less than 10% tear of the MCL. And the prognosis for that uh, is about two weeks. Matt Forte, I understand, has either a grade one or a grade two tear. Now, how do we grade it? Grade one, MC, a strain is really a tear. For instance, a lumbar strain is thought to be a minimal soft tissue injury, but on a microscopic level, it involves tearing of some of the longitudinal fibers of the muscle. So with the MCL, it's a ligament. Less than 10% of the ligament's torn. It's painful, though no instability, usually no swelling of the knee. The tendon is in continuity. Symptoms are minimal. Grade one has a two-week prognosis. Essentially, two weeks later, the patient can return back to the field of play. A grade two are also a moderate version of incomplete tears of the MCL. Grade three, which was not the case for Matt Forte, thankfully, and certainly not the case with your esteemed host, Dr. Bruce, is a complete tear of the MCL with swelling, pain, and instability. And a grade 3 MCL tear often requires surgery. When there is a grade 1 or grade 2 tear, how do we treat these injuries? Well, firstly, with any acute injury, we use ice, compression, and elevation. We also involve the patients in physical therapy, such as ultrasound, electrical stimulation, gentle range of motion. With the MCL, a brace is very helpful. In a minimal case like I've experienced grade one tears, you could use a standard Velcro brace, one you could find in your local pharmacy. has a little hole in the middle where the patella or kneecap is. Uh, a more significant strain or tear, there are hinged braces that can be used. So the brace is very helpful because it provides... Stability limits the endpoint of motion. And for general walking around, uh, the brace is, is good. And also in the rehabilitation process, one will use the brace and wean off the brace. So again, grade one, less than 10%. Grade two, intermediate tear. Grade three, complete tear of the MCL surgery. So with incomplete tears, Other than the acute treatment, what else could we do? 
in this audio that you heard from the Chicago Bears Network, they mentioned that Matt Forte is going to undergo PRP injection. I told you what that is earlier. That is uh, the injection of the patient's own blood growth factors to accelerate the healing of a knee injury. So what precedent has there been for PRP? Let's look at Heinz Ward, veteran receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He suffered an incomplete tear of his knee and had a prognosis of a four-week recovery. However, he received PRP, the harvest method, and what happened? Two weeks later, he was playing well in the Super Bowl. And he became a Super Bowl champion. We talked about Tiger Woods. He had knee surgery. A lot of times patients will have surgery and will also receive PRP. Kobe Bryant received PRP. So again, PRP involves a process which separates the platelet from other blood products. These growth factors help ramp up healing. You can think of growth factors as espresso shots for cells. So when you add PRP to the joint or the tendon, you're essentially having cells accelerate, work harder and faster. And we use these concepts to promote healing. So what's in store for Matt Forte? We believe that he will undergo the PRP soon. And the thing about PRP is it's not considered an anabolic or performance-enhancing substance. That is, it's portions of the patient's own blood, almost no chance of rejection, not a steroid, and very helpful. The PRP, being so new, has not been embraced by all insurance companies, as you could imagine, being a cynic. They, uh, they wait for very large controlled studies to, uh, to actually pay for the treatment. So people who are uh, in need of this treatment will often have to, to pay out of pocket. Again, as, as a doctor and a provider, if we went back to when penicillin was first used for uh, pharyngitis or sore throats, the, the insurance companies probably wouldn't pay for that because there weren't enough studies. But why did doctors use it? It worked. So, again, not everything's perfect, but anecdotally, in, in collaborating with some of the forward-thinking orthopedic surgeons and paid doctors and reading the literature, approximately 70% of patients who receive PRP will have some response. It could vary from a mild subjective response to a response where an athlete can get back on the field like Heinz Ward. And that's something which I consider to be pretty objective when compared to a typical recovery from an injury. So Matt Forte will undergo, obviously, ice. He'll have state-of-the-art physical therapy. He'll wear a brace. And as his MCL heals, he'll obviously involve himself in strengthening of the muscles around the knee, particularly the, uh, the quadriceps, the adductors, and the hamstrings. And then he will, uh, he will start jogging, running, and in probably three to four weeks, if all goes well without any setbacks, he may return to the field 
for the Chicago Bears. Looking at the playoff picture, the Bears are on the bubble right now. And hopefully for Matt Forte, he'll have an opportunity to show his wares in the playoffs. And also, ironically, Jay Cutler has a similar projected return from a, a thumb fracture. He underwent a surgical procedure, and it appears that he would be ready for the playoffs that will not be able to participate in the re- remainder of the games for the Chicago Bears. So the two best players, Jay Cutler, Matt Forte on the shelf, leaving it to Marion Barber, the young quarterback, and the fierce defense led by Brian Erlacher and Lance Briggs. Please stay tuned for the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. It'll be Around the League, Week 13, highlighted by our guest analyst, Spencer the Wizard. See you in three. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. If you want to talk about the East Coast sports scene, particularly from the Southeast, make sure you tune in to the Jeff Owen Show every Tuesday. Yeah, we'll talk about some of the other teams and news that's out there, but host Jeff Owens and co-host Tasha Humphrey know the inside and out of the Georgia college sports world, and they were born there, raised there, and still live the scene. We'll talk about every sport imaginable. Tune in on Tuesday at 7 p.m. East Coast time, 4 p.m. in the West, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. What's up, everybody? With City, third segment, December 19th, 2011 is the date. 
Got a little fast forward action here. Last segment, I was previewing the Giants-Green Bay game, and now I actually have a result of the Giants-Green Bay game. Green Bay 38 points, which is expected. New York Giants 35. What a great ball game at the Meadowlands. The NFL, America's Game of the Week did not disappoint, ladies and gentlemen. Eli Manning had a huge day for the Giants, tossing two touchdown passes to Hakeem Nix. And the drive, when Green Bay was winning in the game 38-29, to uh, 29, um, no, no, excuse me, I apologize, 35-27, to 27, Green Bay was winning, um, the Giants needed 8 points, and in this day and age, when a team needs 8 points, you don't really see that, you don't really see the team actually go down the field, get the touchdown, and make the two-point conversion. You see teams all the time come back from seven-point deficits in the fourth quarter, but when they have the mentality that they can't just score a touchdown, they have to get the two yards after the touchdown on that one play, you know, that, that, I was just very impressed by Eli Manning. He is a really clutch quarterback, and this year he's gone toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers, and he has beaten Tom Brady again, just like he did in the Super Bowl. So he's proving his elite status. The Giants' offense looked really looked really nice today. Um, their play calling um, really improved. They still did, in my opinion, too many screen passes. Um, but um, you know, Kevin Gilbride um, really executed the play calling nicely for the Giants, and Manning really looked it really looked good. And the um, and the offensive line really protected for Eli well, and he had time to survey the field and hit his receivers. Um, and Hakeem Nix had a great day, and Victor Cruz again was solid. He really is the player of the year for the Giants, Victor Cruz. Then you look at Green Bay, their matchup versus the Giants defense. You knew that Green Bay would probably shellack the Giants D, and they and they pretty much did that. But you know, Aaron Rodgers, um, he had to deal with some drop passes, but overall he looked like Aaron Rodgers. Jordy Nelson had some incredible catches in the game, um, including on the last drive where he burned the Giants defender and um, got down for about thirty yards. And and you know. A lot of fans, you know, were saying on comment boards and after the game that the Giants scored too quickly with 58 seconds left. But, you know, when you have to score a touchdown, I mean, I totally disagree from their standpoint because when you have to score a touchdown, you have to score a touchdown. You're not thinking about when you score a touchdown. It's hard enough to actually get a touchdown. And then having to get the two-point conversion, the Giants just were satisfied, of course, to get a touchdown and and then have a shot at a two-point conversion. And they're believing that, oh, they should have ran the football once more and narrowed it down by 30 seconds and made Green Bay waste the timeout. Well, you know what? The Giants probably would have gotten stuffed from the three-yard line. Okay, they probably Green Bay would, was expecting a run sometime, and they would have gotten stopped by a goal line D by goal line defense. You know, B.J. Rahi, um, Clay Matthews, and their D probably would have made a tackle, and then the Giants would be forced with like fourth and goal. And then if they wouldn't have scored a touchdown in the first place, everyone would have been you know 
you know, saying um, and insulting Kevin Gilbride. So you had to score a touchdown there, and they did. They, you know, Eli did everything in his power to win, and the Giants' defense just couldn't stop Aaron Rodgers. I mean. Another poor performance by the Giants' defense, but you got to give credit, of course, to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has embarrassed probably every defense in the NFL um, from this point, and the Giants just gave a great test. And um, this this Giants game, though, it does it, it does have some resemblance to the the 2007 New England Patriots game when the Patriots were undefeated. Um, last game of the regular season, and the Giants went toe-to-toe, Manning went toe-to-toe with Brady. And um, Tom Brady and Randy Moss got it done in the end, but Manning gained a lot of confidence. He threw three touchdown passes to the Burris, and it was a 38, I think it was actually the same score, which was pretty ironic, 38-35, to New England in that one. The point is, when the Giants played New England, and they already secured a playoff spot in 07, they were just playing for pride. And they took that momentum and the way they played New England, they took that into the playoffs. And we all know the rest is history. They beat Tampa. They went on the road and beat Dallas and Green Bay. And then they met up for, for, the, for the rematch with New England in the Super Bowl and dethroned them of a perfect season. On the other hand, you have Dallas. Dallas was was going away to Arizona, and they knew that probably Green Bay would knock off the Giants, which they did. Dallas laid an egg today, and you know Dallas um, Dallas has been squeaking by lately. They won on a last second field goal versus Miami on Thanksgiving Day, where Matt Moore couldn't get it in the end zone where it was just saving up for field goals, and the Dolphins blew a lot of opportunities on Thanksgiving Day to put away the Cowboys. Then Dallas almost lost to Rex Grossman in Washington, in Washington. And that's not that impressive, because Rex Grossman is just is just really inconsistent, and he's, he's just not really a solid number one quarterback, and the Redskins have a lot of issues with their team offensively and defensively, and are in the cellar again of the NFC East. So Dallas barely squeaked by them. So Dallas hasn't looked very sharp in their wins. I was actually a little wrong because I I thought Dallas would actually beat Arizona, and I, I thought that Dallas, by winning you know the last two games, um, you know by by beating Washington and by beating Miami. Um, which were two ugly wins against two mediocre squads, I thought that Dallas would then up it up a notch. And I thought that their victories um, from the previous two games, I thought would boost their morale up so that they could have a dominant performance on the road and beat Arizona by double digits. But apparently, Dallas came out and just looked to survive again. And they, they really didn't play like they owned the game. And Arizona came and and won enough and won an OT game, you know, versus Dallas. And you know Bailey had a 52 yarder, but the kid's been solid all year. The rookie kicker filling in for Bueller, so you can't get on him for that. And Dallas now loses. So now, looking at the standings here, the um, the New York Giants are clearly in control of their own destiny with Dallas losing. And I believe that next week's showdown in Big D will decide the division. 
will decide the division lead. Yes, Dallas is one game ahead, seven and five, and the Giants are six and six. So if the Giants beat Dallas next week, they're both at seven and six. Tiebreaker goes to the Giants because they're one and zero versus Dallas. The Giants and Dallas play twice. So next week will be the first matchup on Sunday Night Football, which should be a dandy. So next week's game will be pretty awesome, and um, I'm definitely going to be you know previewing that one. Um, now looking around the league, Tebow again today. Definitely want to talk about him, um, Timothy Tebow. You know everyone's been saying that the defense has been carrying the Denver Broncos. And the defense has been playing great and that the team has been winning despite Tebow's poor performances. Today was a pure example of why that hypothesis, in my opinion, is wrong. Because Tim Tebow does enough every time to win the game. And he will not let his team slip. I believe this Denver team is more than just defense. And Tim Tebow can actually be a solid quarterback in the NFL. And today just proved why Tim's a winner. I'm just asking the audience here, if I could tell you guys that Minnesota would score 32 points and that Denver would only run the ball. Hold on, let me get the statistics of how many rushing yards. Well, McGahee had a nice day today. Sorry for this. Um, oof. Sorry for that little nature scene on the computer. I didn't plan for that. Um, But hopefully we can get past that and continue talking about this Bronco victory versus the um, Minnesota Vikings. Um, Yeah, so so only 111 rushing yards from Willis, which is actually pretty good. But if the Vikings put up 32, you're thinking like Tebow couldn't get it done, right? He couldn't get over 32 and win the game. Well, guess what he did, folks? He hit Demarius Thomas all day long. Um, Demarius Thomas had two touchdowns and over 150 yards of receiving. Um, and Tebow went 10 of 15, 201 yards, and two TD passes. And when Ponder and Harvin were actually lighting it up in the third quarter, the Vikings scored 14 points, but the Broncos matched that back with the two touchdowns to Denarius Thomas. Tebow looked poised in the pocket today, and his arm looked confident. He actually felt like he could make the throws, and he was actually throwing 20-yard passes on dimes. And, you know, even though he only got 15 pass attempts, he really looked like he has a future in this league. Excellent commentary, Spencer. Stay tuned. For the next segment of Wiz City and Bruce the Sports Doc, we're going to be dealing with the serious topic of child abuse scandals at Penn State and Syracuse University. You don't want to miss it. We'll see you in three. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. 
Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. school to the pros we we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports you are listening to bruce the sports doc with dr bruce grossinger if you have a question or comment about today's program please call in at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or send an email to Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, everybody. It's Wiz City, Spencer the Wizard. This is the next segment of my show. And this is very cool because we can simulcast... Actually, I have a very special guest, an original guest, Bruce the Sports Doc. Thank you. And as you said, uh, this topic of alleged child abuse by Penn State and Syracuse University, specifically two figures, Jerry Sandusky and Bertie Fine, not the institutions themselves, is the hottest topic worldwide over the last two months. And essentially, we're going to contrast the way that Penn State handled the situation with the way that Syracuse handled the situation. I'll briefly outline the facts and get your comments, Spencer. Firstly, the facts are that there are perhaps eight children now, adults, who have come forth and stated that they were part of the Second Mile Charity with Jerry Sandusky, assistant coach for 35 years at Penn State. And there's a wide range of very lurid and graphic allegations. And this came to light when a grand jury indicted Bernie Sandusky of numerous counts. And when it came out that Mike McQuarrie, who was former quarterback at Penn State, actually witnessed one episode of the shower where... Uh, Jerry Sandusky allegedly was involved in, in child molestation. And that McQuarrie, rather than go to police, reported to his dad, and his dad, he just didn't know what to do. And then he went to Coach Paterno, who's, who's a god at uh, State University at Happy Valley. And it is said that, that Joe Paterno took, kept the matter internally within the university, reported it to the AD, 
add to other officials, and that ultimately years went past before the, this finally came out with indictments, and Penn State essentially did damage control. They fired their president. They fired the AD. They fired the administrator. And Joe Paterno tried to get ahead of this and said he'd resign at the end of the season. And he was such a meeting of the Board of Trustees at Penn State. They, they actually uh, they, they fired uh, Paterno. And so with respect to how Penn State handled that, and Sandusky coming out and giving two interviews in the media, uh, you know, he certainly, uh, in my view, uh, was not very compelling. Uh, Spencer, uh, these are the facts of the Penn State. Uh, concisely give us your views. So I believe that Joe Paterno should have definitely told the police about Jerry Sandusky. Child molestation is probably behind murder as the worst thing you could you can commit. It's the worst crime you can commit um, between murder and kidnapping. And Paterno reported it to the athletic director, which was a good step, which was definitely a step to do. But after he after he did not hear anything from the police with um you know with the next following days, he should have then he should have then himself made his duty to go to the police and anonymously report Sandusky with um, with corrupt actions with his charity. Joe Paterno, you have to understand, is a Penn State legend. He has been a coach for 40 years and is probably the greatest college football coach of all time and one of the greatest figures ever in the state of Pennsylvania. And Penn State's football program is is highly recognized as one of the best in the country as well. So they had a lot at stake. And Paterno was, you know, of course, afraid of the of the legacy of Penn State football getting tarnished. So he didn't, you know, probably want to... Um, tell the police about Sandusky and cause the season of that particular year, which I believe was 2002. He didn't want that to interrupt his um, his coaching legacy. So I definitely believe that Paterno should have told the police, and it is difficult because we are not in his shoes, um, yeah, to do that. Now let's switch to Syracuse University basketball now, not football. The coach, Jude Beheim, another revered legend, close to the leader in wins, certainly approaching Mike Krzyzewski, John Wooden, uh, a luminary. Uh, Jude Beheim has had an impeccable career, unblemished with respect to his conduct. Certainly, uh, his players, including Carmelo Anthony, have had distinguished careers, not only in college, but also in the NBA. So, most recently... Syracuse University has benefited from watching the Penn State uh, situation play out on national news every single day. And let's get to the facts of the Syracuse problem. Uh, Bernie Fine, who was a trusted assistant coach of Bayhive for 35 years, another multi-year case, was alleged to have committed molestation, uh, not identical but very similar, with, uh, with inappropriate touching numerous, numerous times of at least two uh, young boys who were who were serving in the capacity as ball boys for Syracuse University. The allegation is that they they, uh, they spent a lot of time with Bernie Fine. They actually traveled with the team, and in that capacity, Bernie Fine uh, spent time with them, that, that Bernie Fine was a father figure, and that, that dozens of times... 
Uh, Brody Fide touched them inappropriately, and they just didn't know how to handle it, and they, they didn't report it until recently. Now, both individuals are now adults. One ball boy is named Davis, and he's actually come out, and, and he's actually been on, uh, you, you, there's been video, so he actually came out, identified himself, lost his anonymity, and basically said, perhaps due to the, the Penn State situation, that that victims of child abuse could no longer be silent. And so he was motivated to come out. And the way Syracuse handled it initially, Jim Beheim, much like Paterno, his initial reaction was to deny, because he knew Bertie Fye, to basically say that this couldn't have happened. And then also to say that whoever brought these charges must be trying to seek money. So that obviously was similar to Paterno. If he would have continued to go down that road, Syracuse would have had to immediately fire Beheim, in my opinion. Instead, Beheim retracted into a shell and waited a few days before coming out with a very scripted and I think appropriate press conference where he came out and stated that he would um, basically take responsibility for whatever came out, but to admit that the investigation is new and the investigation at Syracuse will be thorough and complete, and that he will cooperate in every way with the investigation. And at the end of the investigation, he will give his comments. And then a, a second press conference just a day ago, where Behab literally came out and said, I was wrong, and apologized profusely for his insensitivity with respect to the potential victims of Bertie Fine, and how he stated that he would make no further comment about it. Likewise, unlike Penn State, there is no evidence to suggest that any witnesses of Bertie Fide's alleged molestations ever came forth to Beheim, that Beheim ever had a duty until recently to report this to the police. And so Syracuse, in many ways, appears like the administration appears to be somewhat distant from this Bertie Fide issue. And now they seem to be doing things the right way and proceeding with the investigation. So the difference is Jim Beheim remains head coach. They just had a big victory over Florida over the weekend, and we'll see how all of this plays out. Well, Bayheim and the Syracuse incidents, um, they, they're, they have their differ, um, they're different than Penn State's um, situation um, because Jim Bayheim really didn't know about um, Bernie Fine and um, his accusations of child molestation um, with the with the two ball boys. Um, he didn't know it until two days ago, or not two days ago, but two weeks ago. So Bayheim and the coaching staff, it's it, these these two situations are very different because Penn State's coaching staff understood seven years ago that Jerry Sandusky. Um, was committing these crimes and they didn't do anything. They didn't tell the police about any of it. Now Syracuse, um, the Syracuse coaching staff and Jim Beheim, um, Beheim, I believe, w- was very wrong at the beginning to, um, to make those assumptions about about Bernie Fine that the ball boys were just trying to get money and that he's known Bernie Fine for years and that Bernie Fine did not do it. Um, so, you know, Beheim was, is naive to this subject, so he shouldn't have even took any stance here. I know he was trying to defend his assistant coach, but 
he, you know, he really didn't have any room to speak, and that was actually offensive to the ball boys. Um, but Syracuse, um, you know, this situation is very new, and there's going to be a lot more facts to come later on. So the the coaching staffs are placed in a completely different situation. Beheim's doing the right thing now by letting the investigation take place, and the police are now fully aware of it. But Penn State, by hiding Jerry Sandusky, that, in my opinion, is a much bigger deal than Syracuse being completely naive to the facts of, um, yes, Bernie Fine. So the question might be for the audience, how did this come to light? Well, the difference is that there was actually an audio tape of Bernie Fine's wife that was recorded where she expressed concern about Bernie Fine's activity with respect to child molestation. So as far as the tipping point in the Syracuse case, that certainly would be the events. Much different than Sandusky's wife, who, who remained quiet throughout all of this. And the, the one similarity, well, there's, there's many similarities, but one is that the, the mounting pressure in Syracuse caused them to essentially fire Bernie Fine, much like Sandusky, who was now precluded and restricted from ever going to the Penn State campus. So it was alleged that he was actually using the gymnasium uh, in the weeks during the, when the indictment splashed. And that was obviously very grievous that, that, that so nine years later, Sandusky still had access to the campus, could still move in and out, was still affiliated and ran the second mile program, whereas Bernie Fine... Uh, you know, was actively a coach. Now, Sandusky at age 55 abruptly retired, and nobody really knew why he did. And now it appears that, you know, that, that the people, that there was whisperings among the college football community that no major program ever approached Sandusky to become a head coach. So in any event, this is, uh, segment is, is, uh, is, is, is going into overtime just like many of the games this weekend, but we want to thank all the listeners on Voice America Kids, Voice America Sports, and uh, we are looking forward to next week's program, and we're going to have more, hopefully, riveting commentary, not only about the NFL, about the emergence of NBA basketball, but also the serious allegations surrounding Penn State and Syracuse. Thank you. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.